We are back, and you're listening to The Critical Hour on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon, joined here by my co-host, Garland Nixon. Thank you, Wilmer. There is an interesting piece in Orinoco Tribune entitled The Decline of the U.S. and the Rise of the East. We are now witnessing a great realignment and transformation. The so-called American century has given way to a new century in which other countries are asserting themselves and taking the lead in the world. For insight into this, let's turn to our next guest. He's a podcaster and host of The Left is Dead, James Carey. As always, James, welcome back. Always good to be here. Dan Kovalik wrote this piece, and Dan continues, This new world order seemed quite unlikely several decades ago when the USSR collapsed, and it appeared, and the U.S. certainly declared, that the U.S. would be the one dominant power for many decades to come. Ironically, it was the U.S.'s very attempt to maintain this status, which has inexorably led to its losing it, and to its decline as a nation. Your thoughts, James Carey? Uh, yeah, I think um, the end of history moment, right? They made a big presumption. They made the presumption that we solved everything, right? <laughs> we've solved all the problems with race. We've solved all the labor disputes. We've solved everything because, look, communism failed. It's proven that capitalism is the end-all, be-all natural system because it came out on top. Never mind all the Cold War activity, but I think the thing is, is we got we got really cocky and we made an assumption that this end of history moment was going to last forever. And the idea of neoliberalism bringing in, say, cheaper consumer goods was going to be enough to buy off people forever, which I don't think so. And the people who make those neoliberal, you know, these cheap consumer goods. They don't really want to make them anymore. Look at what China is now as compared to 10 years ago. The other thing, too, is there was a binary mindset. There was a mindset that says there's two options. There's our version of capitalism and there's communism and ours is good and theirs is bad. And one of them will win and it has to be us. Oh, we won. So it's over. Not recognizing that as an example, look at China. China has a hybrid system. The government, my understanding, owns about 70 percent of the business. About 30 percent of it is more market owned. And it's so it's kind of a hybrid system. You have a Russia now, a Venezuela. You have a number of countries that have huge state owned oil or gas or natural resources, nationalized countries that bring in a tremendous amount of money that they use to finance the government. And then they they have a market also. So they didn't they never stopped to take into account that there could be alternative um, hybrid type systems. And, and I'm not going to say that could challenge their version of capitalism, but that could be an alternative that other people may see as a better as a, as a, as a better selection. Yeah, I don't think it challenges anything because, I mean, you can keep buying the oil, right, say in Venezuela's case. But, I mean, France itself just um, totally nationalized one of their energy giants. And they've had, I think, 4% increases in energy costs uh, compared to UK, the U.K. at like 25 or something like that. I mean, these are astronomical differences. Um, we have no nuclear reactors here either, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, I think the fact is, is that, yeah, people have uh, – the, the United States is a bunch of atomized actors – Look at our space program. It is now Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos competing to get up there first. Whereas China or somebody like that, you know, some nation like that, has central planning. They understand what the 
goal of the project is before they ever start it, right? Remember the ghost cities that were going to sit empty forever, and now they're full of millions of people. Uh, there's a planning that we don't have. We lack planning so much that the Pentagon has, you know, militias fighting um, CIA ones in Syria. We don't look five minutes ahead of us. These other countries understood, you know, the way the trends are going and what will need to be invested in and clearly did so wisely. But we in the United States, because we believe in, you know, the atomized sort of homo economicus, they're allowed to do what they want. And that's why the economy is built this way, because they're allowed to build it. There's another element that came to mind as I was listening to Garland, and that is the countries that that you mentioned, Garland, many of them have different systems, but they find ways to cooperate with each other. China is enforcing Iran to no longer be a theocracy. Iran is no longer forcing Venezuela to become a theocracy if, if, if Venezuela needs to cooperate with Iran. They have found that a way to peacefully coexist based upon need. And one of the things that is bringing them closer together, and I, I wrote a piece a while ago called The Non-Aligned Nations Are Realigning, and, and that has to do with the fact that this uh, sanctions regime and this unipolar pressure that's trying to be put on the put put upon them by the United States is forcing these countries to cooperate with each other but they're a, they are able to peacefully coexist instead of trying to force one to come to the other side. Yeah, I mean, what's one phrase you'll never hear in the United States? It's another country's internal affairs, right? And that is the motto of somebody like China, where they'll talk to whoever answers the phone the next day. It's not their business as long as the business continues. And I think that the fact is, you know, here we are, the United States is prepping basically, uh, you know, sort of heritage Cold War weapons and this boon for arms manufacturers. Again, only thinking five feet in front of them. But wait a minute. Well, China doesn't. <laughs> but wait a minute. To, 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 that, to that point, you said China, China will talk to whoever answers the phone and they're not getting involved in the internal affairs. The United States only uses that pretext of human rights as an excuse because the United States isn't chasing the moral dream. The United States is not is not really engaging in securing human rights. That's merely the pretext or the excuse that it uses to intervene in other countries' politics. Hey, where's Joe Biden? Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. Where's your human rights? Oh, and where yeah. did he where did he leave? Israel. Israel. So, well, don't you, well, don't you feel better getting oil from Saudi Arabia than Russia? Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah. because it's a democracy. <laughs> yeah. It's not authoritarian. It's, it's a democracy. It's moral oil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not hegemonic yeah, oil. Exactly. It's moral oil. And that is the thing. I mean, we comment on the Saudis' internal affairs, but what do we do? Nothing. We usually end up shooting ourselves in the foot because it turns out that we don't have the power that we think we do. We can't exert, you know, as we're talking about the American century ending. We can't exert the power. If the Saudis want to walk away from us and go talk to Russia, they're free to do so because we rely on them. I mean, what's Biden doing there right now besides begging for them to please produce more oil? You know, and it, it shows that we've tied mainly our economic system. I mean, the Saudis are one of the largest bondholders in the U.S. Everything is tied to these countries, and that's why there's 
the new Cold War is going to be a mess because most of it, all, a bunch of it's tied to China, too. So I don't know how you take that on. You know, we didn't do trade with the Soviets. This is a whole different ball game. So I think China has the advantage here because they can go around the world offering this counter-economic system as we basically come in and say, hey, you know, you have to do elections this way. You have to treat this group this way. You have to do this. You have to do austerity policies as far as social spending. And China doesn't come with any of that. You know, it's here's our money for investment and here's your money to do what you want with. Joe Biden pledged that his administration would make Saudi Arabia a pariah and that they had to be held accountable. He also said that Saudi Arabia's government has very little social redeeming value and that the Saudi Arabia government murders children and innocent people in Yemen. And now he's in Saudi Arabia giving them having some extra a bromance. Bombs. He's giving them some extra bombs for Ye- Yemen. Uh, well, hey, let's not forget he just came from uh, Israel where everyone's pretending they don't know who shot an American journalist. You know, right. this is how it is, right? It, you just... You forgive with your friends, uh, and that's the thing with the Saudis. We need them. They, I don't know that we, we don't need them. I, that's ridiculous. We need Iran, probably, but we think we need the Saudis. We think we need the Israelis, and uh, the Israelis cause nothing but trouble in the region and you know, interfere in everyone's internal affairs in the region. So even our proxies go out and do things without us knowing. We have no way of leaving people alone. Um, but... Yeah, we have no choice. I mean, the way it's been is that these countries, you know, especially the oil producing countries, they produce so much wealth, they did not know what to do with it. And now all all of it's here. So Biden has no choice but to bag at this point. In Harper's Magazine, Harper's Magazine's article, What Comes After the American Century, they write, For the first time since the collapse of the Soviet Union, the United States confronts a nation whose model, a blend of state capitalism and Communist Party discipline, presents a genuine challenge to liberal democratic capitalism. I would argue that the the form of whatever we have now is neither liberal nor democratic, nor is it much of a form of capitalism because capitalism to some extent works off of profit. This system runs off of debt. At any rate, your thought of th- about Harper's Magazine of all people saying the American century is over. And by the way, the century only lasted like nine years from 1991 to 2000. That ain't much of a century. Uh, James Carey. <laughs> I think they count after the war. But um, yeah, I think uh, uh, Danny Bessner, who's actually a really good foreign policy analyst, he points out that, you know, the U.S., this hegemony, it's, it's capitalist, right? What does capital have to do? It is continue producing uh, gains. It can, it's an economy of constant growth, and that's not a thing that's possible unless you go out and do imperialism. You know, these are the liberal interventionists that he speaks of in that article. Those are the people who know that in order to go out, instead of, you know, making any peaceful deals where maybe we don't get the best deal, maybe we don't get the best price on something, we go out and take it. And we have to go out and exert force to make sure everybody else that may be a partner knows that we will do it to them, too. But it's clearly falling flat. We've dumped billions of arms into Ukraine for nothing. I mean, every war in the Middle East is a complete disaster. So I think that, it, you know, Bessner's on to something that it's just... It's not a liberal capital order, for sure, but again, this is the evolution of capitalism. It would do it again. That's why you need some type of mixed system the way China has.
But there was also an element to this that that always, I think, needs to be factored in, and, and that is the shift in the American economy away from a manufacturing economy to a financialized economy, because we don't make anything here anymore. And that is one of the things that has enabled China to be able, not only through its government uh, control focus and and, and, and its discipline, but the fact that it manufactures things is, is one of the elements that has enabled it to raise, what is it, 100 million people out of poverty? 800. 800 million people out of poverty. So we always have to remember that there was a conscious mindset shift in the United States away from manufacturing to finance. Right, absolutely. I mean, this is the neoliberal revolution, right? This is Reagan, Thatcher, and then, of course, Clinton comes in and adopts it, the whole hog. But that was the whole thing. It was, like I said, the trade-off was this, right? You get, you're going to be in the new tech economy. Now Hillary Clinton's out telling, you know, coal miners learn to code. But you're going to be part of the new tech economy and the new finance economy. And maybe you'll get paid less, but guess what? The TVs will be cheaper. You know, that was really, that was, uh, you can find Bill Clinton saying it. The trade-off is, You'll have things cheaper. And that trade-off can only last as long as the empire goes out seeking those resources for a price they want to pay. If they have to deal in a fair market, people are going to have to pay fair prices and they're not going to like it. You know, this is the one trade-off of neoliberalism. So you're either going to have to fix the absolute destruction of American jobs or you're going to have to go back. You're going to have to find some new way for neoliberalism to benefit these people. And I don't think there's a way to do the latter. Yeah, I've heard the statement. What is it? The the high cost of cheap. What is it? The the high cost of cheap products or something. You know. Yeah. That also takes me back to Henry Ford, and the fact that he had to be sure that he increased wages and kept prices low, so he would have buyers for his product, so that his own employees would be able to buy the cars that they were manufacturing. And now you got Walmart employees on food stamps. You know, I mean, this continues on, I guess. And I, I just, the manufacturing in this country, it was, you know, we sent it to Mexico and then we destroyed that place. And when does Mexican immigration start real bad? The 90s after NAFTA, when all these farm, you know, these family farmers are pushed off their land for Coca-Cola plants and things like that. So the end of history really set up the new history that we're going to be living through because it went out to take everything it could from the global south and guess what that time's over because you can't even project power anymore you know so now what are you going to do you're either going to try and pressure these people into compliance or you're going to have to find a way to live in a multipolar world james carey as always thank you so much for your time really appreciate that analysis we look forward to having you back thank you Folks, you're listening to The Critical Hour here on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon, joined here by my co-host, Garland Nixon. There's more on the other side. Stay tuned. 